today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Pharisee comes with a snide remark. He could say, you're toast. On that cross, he could have called 10,000 angels to rescue him. He didn't. He laid aside his prerogatives as God. Now, you do see glimpses of his divinity because he never ceased to be God, even when he became fully man. Uh, You could see on that Mount of Transfiguration, his glory. Reaching up high with arms open wide, we see you're changing our lives so we can be our heads and feet. There are some who may be trying to use the church in order to gain power or status in this world. Today, Pastor Ed tells us that Paul warned against such people. Paul pointed to Jesus himself as an example of why those who seek power through the church are wrong. Before becoming man, Jesus had all the power and authority. He was the creator of man, yet he diminished his status to become a servant of man. Like Christ, we must strive to humble ourselves and put others before us and serve them. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's message, The Mind of Christ. together as we turn in the Bible to Philippians chapter 2. Paul the Apostle, like a physician, senses something wrong with the body of Christ in Philippi. He takes their pulse, spiritually speaking, their blood pressure, examines them and says, I sense something wrong is amiss. Now, it wasn't perceivable to the outward eye, but to this trained spiritual leader, he saw that there was something wrong. He's going to give them a remedy. He's going to go right to preventive medicine. And I'm going to read from Verses 1 to 11, it forms a unit in chapter 2. It's all connected together. But our focus this morning is on verses 5 through 8. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only on your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. 
taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul the Apostle looks at a sociological problem within the church and comes up with a theological solution to the sociological problem among believers. Let's pray. Father, take your word. Speak to our hearts. Change it. Change us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Paul senses the beginning of factions, divisions, forming within the body. And immediately, he's going to address the issue of unity. He said, have the mind of Christ. And he's going to explain to us in verses 6 or 5 through 8 what the mind of Christ looks like. What is the mind of Christ? What does it mean to have his mind? From the very beginnings of the church, it's been threatened by competitive spirit among its leaders. Ambition and, and pride. It's inherent in our fallen human nature and comes out again and again. Even in the shadow of the cross as Jesus is facing Calvary, his disciples are arguing who's going to be the greatest. In fact, James and John. Perhaps prod their mother or with the prodding of their mother, go to Jesus with a request. They wanted favored places, positions. One on the right hand, one on the left hand. Listen to Jesus' response. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What Jesus did was argued from the greater to the lesser. He said, if he, their master, their Lord, came not to be served, but to serve how much more should they be willing to serve? How much more should they be willing to minister to one another sacrificially? How much we are like James and John. In fact, 
Robert Raines put it in poetry. Listen to his poem or his prose. I'm like James and John. Lord, I size up other people in terms of what they can do for me, how they can further my program, feed my ego, satisfy my needs, give me strategic advantage. I exploit people. Supposedly for your sake, but really for my own sake, Lord, I turn to you to get the inside track and obtain special favors. Your direction for my schemes, your power for my project, your sanction for my ambitions, your blank checks for whatever I want. I'm like James and John. Jesus knew how damaging, how divisive, how dangerous it is when pride creeps in and humility is forgotten. He recognized the danger to the church. And now Paul the apostle, taking the spiritual pulse, looking carefully in the spirit realm, discerns that something is not right. And he says, humility is the answer. And what he does is he goes to their Lord and Savior Jesus, and he brings Jesus as an example of humility. He says, be like God. That's the solution. That's the answer to the problem that potentially can divide the church at Philippi or any church. The first thing he does is he takes them back into eternity, to the councils of heaven, and shows them Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. You see the humility of Christ in heaven in verse 6 who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Notice, the NIV translates it, who being in very nature God. In the New American Standard, the King James and some of the other translations, you have whose very form is God. The NIV translates it accurately because the Greek word morph refers to the essence, the inner essence and the outward expression, Jesus was God. You look at his preeminence, the preeminence of Christ, who being in very nature God. Jesus is the one who spoke the worlds into existence, who Hurl the stars into the heavens. He is the one who is from everlasting to everlasting. Now I know when you get that knock on your door and that Jehovah Witness comes and says, I'd like to talk to you. Go to the crux of the matter. Go to the heart of the matter. The deity of Christ. That's something they deny. If you have it wrong there, you're lost. 
Now, we can disagree on a lot of things, but we can't disagree on who Jesus is. He is God. And Paul the Apostle is clear in what he says. He presents Jesus as God. Jesus Christ is the Alpha and Omega. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is Almighty God. And Paul the Apostle presents in that way. That's what the early church believed. That's what the first Christians embraced. That was their theology. That was foundational to the church. If you knock that foundation out, the church comes crumbling down. Jesus Christ is the eternal God. So Paul the apostle takes them back into eternity and shows them the second person of the Trinity who in very nature, he is God. Then he shows them and points to his glory, the glory of Christ in Philippians 2.6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. I use the New Revised Standard Version because it accurately explains the Greek term or the English word grasped. What some versions say is it's not something he held on to or grasped. The idea is this. Jesus did not hold on to his prerogatives as God. He did not hold on to the glories of heaven, but he condescended to earth Let me read to you several translations. New Living Translation, the Holman's uh, Study Bible, and another, the Good News Bible. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. And... Although he was in the form of God and equal with God, he did not take advantage of his equality. When Jesus came to earth, he laid aside his prerogatives as Yahweh. He laid aside all of that glory and he veiled it in human flesh. Now imagine if he didn't. Some Pharisee comes with a snide remark. He could say, you're toast. On that cross, he could have called 10,000 angels to rescue him. He didn't. He laid aside his prerogatives as God. Now, you do see glimpses of his divinity because he never ceased to be God, even when he became fully man. Uh, You could see on that Mount of Transfiguration, his glory shone through when he was with those Old Testament patriarchs and prophets Moses and Elijah the prophet and they saw his glory Uh, his glory shone through there in the garden when he said I am and the soldiers just fell down his glory showed through when he just spoke to those winds and the waves no he, he never ceased to be God but he limited himself Now, what Paul is doing is this. He's saying, okay, this is what you're doing in the church. You're doing what the culture does. You know, you start off as a 
a young person and you can't wait to get your first apartment. You're on your own. And then you want to get a condo. And then you go to one of our realtors and then you want to get a fixer-upper. And then you're thinking about the dream house, around 3,000 square feet or something. You know, you're always wanting to climb up the ladder. Well, uh, you're in the process of saying, do you know who I am? Recognize me. I'm somebody special. We climb up the ladder of success. Not what Jesus did. He came down the ladder. He came from heaven to earth, from glory to earth. He came from the accolades of angels to the curses of men. He came from the praise of heavenly being to the scorn of sinful men. Paul the apostle is saying, look at the Savior. Look at Christ. Look at God and emulate Follow his example. You know, I, I, I love the passage of Scripture tucked in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah because it shows the horror and the danger of pride. In eternity past, God's greatest angelic creation was Lucifer. Son of the morning, the most beautiful of all the angels. He saw the triune God. He brought the praises and gathered them and brought them to God. Heaven's choir director. With all he saw, all he experienced, sin crept in his heart. He plotted and planned a rebellion against God Almighty. Whenever pride comes into a person's heart, they begin to mirror hell. They begin to mirror Satan. You see this in Isaiah chapter 14, where the king, a pagan king, becomes proud. Listen to how he reflects and mirrors the heart of Satan because in his heart you can see Satan. In chapter 14 of Isaiah it says, How have you fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn? You have been cast down to earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I, 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 I. The big ego, the big I. Satan wanted to climb the ladder. Adam wanted to climb the ladder. Pride, the pride of life filled his heart. And he wanted to be like God and gave into the temptation, both him and Eve in the garden. They wanted to be like God, ascend the ladder. Never do we reflect more of hell than when pride creeps into our hearts. Our God is a humble God who comes down 
and comes into our world and embraces us. That's what the scripture says. In fact, God says, I resist the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Listen again to Isaiah chapter 57, 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. In John chapter 17, we have the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He's preparing to go back to heaven. Listen to his words in John 17, 4 and 5. We'll put it up on the screen. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He left that glory, the splendor, the glory of heaven to embrace sinful humanity. So you could see his humility of Christ in heaven, but you see also the humility of Christ on earth or in the incarnation in verses 7 to 8a, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. Jesus Christ comes down and embraces our humanity, becomes fully man. Now, the text says he made himself nothing. The King James, the New American Standard, uh, some of the other translations say that he emptied himself. Uh, The idea is that he emptied himself. He, as the scriptures had been, made himself nothing. What it meant was he never ceased to be God. He never ceased to be Yahweh, but He divested himself. He left his prerogatives as God behind. He didn't take them with him to this earth. He humbled. That's what we call the kenosis, the idea of God emptying himself. But what did he empty himself into? Well, here is a shocking, startling thing. He emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant. That's from the NIV. By taking the very nature of a servant. Uh, What does it mean? Well, he became, really in the Greek it's doulos, he became a slave. Jesus was not born in a king's palace or a nobleman's home or even in a middle class family. He was born to utter poverty with none of the advantages that might give him a good start in life. He was born in a place where people would say, could anything good come out of Nazareth, out of that community? Even the surrounding communities looked down on the place where Jesus lived. Think about this. The God who spun the worlds into existence. The creator walks among his creation. And as they bump up against him, they say, who do you think you are? You're just a Nazarene. 
What gives you right to talk like that? Thank you, Pastor Ed, for that uplifting teaching. Philippians is filled with wisdom for life today, and Paul gives us such practical direction for shining the light of Christ into a world that is lost in darkness. We hope that today's message was encouraging to you and helped to build you up in your faith. Maybe as you were listening, you thought of someone else who would love the encouragement from this message as well. So please feel free to share today's teaching with your friends and family. You can find this message and many others from Pastor Ed online at buildinginfaithradio.com. If you're in the Poughkeepsie, New York area, we'd love to see you at Faith Assembly. Come on over on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. for a faith-filled time of worship and learning together. Or stop by on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. for a deeper time of study into the Word. You can learn more at that same website, buildinginfaithradio.com. If you have other questions, prayer requests, or would simply like more information about the life-changing love of Jesus, please call us at 845-462-5955. We'd love to share with you. We're so glad you joined us today. We'd like you to know that we're praying for you as you go through your day and ask that you be praying for the mission of building in faith, that many people would be drawn closer to Jesus. Tune in again as we continue in Philippians, right here on Building in Faith. Your word restores.